Live from Southern California, this is the Jim Rome Show. Let me start with my half fam. You know, I'm half chowed. Half chowed. Half fam. It turns out, half fam, that your Celtics do remember how to play basketball. Turns out your Celtics have not completely quit on this series or their head coach or each other. They just quit on game three and they let go of the rope in game one and they got humiliated in the fourth quarter in game two. However, game four last night was a different story. Totally different story. Can't take that away from Boston. They came out with a different tone a different effort level, a totally different execution level. Hell, I'd even say they look like a totally different team. Mm? Totally trashed. Totally different. Mm? Jungle Tourette's, what can you do? You know what I would actually say about them? You know what they look like? Not so much a totally different team, but the team they're supposed to look like. They look like the actual Boston Celtics. Not the sleepwalking chumps who spent the first three games of the series getting their asses punked and their heads handed to them. But yes, totally different story last night. Having said all that, I made it very clear. Different. Very different. However, zero credit to the Celtics. Zero credit for finally showing up for this series in the fourth game of this series. Zero credit for finally getting around to playing to your potential. Zero credit for actually hustling through the finish line and actually finishing and closing a game. Zero credit for just looking the way you're supposed to look and are capable of looking Every single night, especially this time of year. Zero credit for waiting until you were down 3-0 with your backs to the wall. For real. I mean, I knew they'd show up last night. I said it on the program. I said that I bet them last night plus two. Zero credit for finally showing up. If they played like that every single night, and they should, and they could... They would never be in the position that they're in right now. If the Celtics just showed up like that for every single game, instead of only when they had their backs to the wall, this would be a totally different series right now. And even with their backs against the wall, they still trailed by six at halftime last night, and then by nine not long thereafter. So if you really want to get into it, they didn't really get around applying to their potential until the second half of the fourth game of the series which makes it really, really hard for me to give them much credit at all. And even harder to believe that they're about to make history and run off the first 3-0 comeback ever in the association. And yes, I'm well aware that their social media, look at me, lava slingers, trying to act like the entire tide has turned in the series. Touting this alleged Celtic team meeting on Monday as the thing that galvanized this team and saved and salvaged and turned around their entire year. Woke them up from their deep, pathetic slumber. You know, the one that Jalen Brown was talking about after the game. A lot of times when you get to this point, you know, down 3-0, you see, you know, locker rooms and teams start to go in the other direction. We wanted to make sure that we stayed together. We wanted to make sure that we, you know, um, look each other in the eye and came out today and, and put our best foot forward. And uh, I'm proud of our group for doing that because, you know, you see teams with their back against the wall and you see they just collapse. Um, you didn't see that tonight. No, we did not see that tonight. But we saw it Sunday night. We saw it in game four. We saw it for a quarter and a half in game three when the Celtics did exactly what Jalen just described. They collapsed. They quit. They humiliated themselves and their fans and their coach and their city and me. Well, half of me. And they did surrender the series, which is why these dudes should get no points for finally getting around to putting their best foot forward. After spending three games being horrible and a full half of one of those games waving a white flag in surrender. It's too late now, fellas. And you know who's more aware of that than anybody? You know who is less worried about this than anybody? 
Hemi. You know Hemi. Hemi. Hemi Buckets. HB. H Buckets. Hemi. Hemi Buckets is not sweating any of this. If anything, it's the opposite. Hemi has never been so chill. This maniac actually walked up on the postgame podium last night singing Alicia Keys. He did. Gonna be all right. Hemi. Only Hemi. This is column written about his musical choice and how this guy basically will bump anything and everything in the locker room loudly, and nobody says Jack. Nobody says Jack to Hemi. Hemi's the DJ. Hemi does what Hemi wants, when Hemi wants. Of course. Because there's nobody like this dude. Hemi is like a weirdo, but in the best possible case. If ever there was a case where weird was good, in the case of Hemi Buckets, weird is awesome. Hemi is cool. And if Hemi is cool, then everything's cool. If Hemi says, we got this, they got this. You tell me. You listen to this dude after the game last night. You tell me if it sounds like a guy with any doubt or a single concern at all. You tell me if this guy is concerned that the Celtics just flipped the switch and now they're on the verge of shocking the world. Does Hemi sound concerned about any of that? Do the same thing that I do, that we do after every game. We're going to listen to some music. You know, we're going to drink some beers back there. I'm going to go have some wine. Um, I don't think that you could just focus on basketball all the time. You have to be able to, you know, get away from the game a little bit. Think about it. Um, but at the end of the day, um, you fall back on, you know, your habits, how consistent you're going to be. And myself and my teammates, we're going to do the same thing. We're going to smile. We're going to be in this thing together like we always are. And we're going to go get one on the road. I mean, I can't even tell you, like, one of the all-time great, great leaders one of the all-time great leaders in any sport. You cannot overpay that guy. You can't pay that guy enough for what he does, for what he says, what he does, how he works, how he prepares, how he leads. I love that. You know, I made the point a few days back that this is a guy who's always locked in. But, you know, it's interesting what he just said. We'll have a few beers. We'll have some wine. And we will fall back on our habits. We'll be fine. Anybody doubting this dude... But trusting the Celtics to shock the world, he's got it all backwards. You know why? Because it is backwards. And I say that about my half fam. I've got blood in this, yo. As long as the Heat stay healthy, they fall back on their habits, they're going to be fine. Now, I did get a little worried last night. I have a different kind of blood in me. I have chowed blood and I have gaucho blood. Little worried when my guy Gaucho Gabe Vincent turned that ankle out. But it seems like he dodged that bullet. Gaucho Gabe also should get a shout out for being exactly right after game three. Remember when he went on the TNT set and he tried to give Boston credit and said they were a very good team and they would not lay down and Chuck turned him inside out. And don't make me choose between a Gaucho and a Chuck. My two favorite things in the world, Charles Barkley and Gauchos. Turns out, I think they were both right, but maybe Gabe might have been a little more right. You know, they're a really good team. They're a well-coached team. They got stars. They're not going to lay down. So, you know, we got to come in and handle business on Tuesday. Yeah, clearly you didn't watch the game tonight. Yo, uh, <laughs> <laughs> you stop. Come on. well-coached and don't lay down. Don't lay down <laughs> well, hey, go oh, look yeah. at the tape again. <laughs> Easy. Easy. He can't me, answer that. Me- they're both right. They, Chuck was right. They were not well-coached, and they did lay down. But Gabe was right in saying they won't lay down. They didn't last night. So Gabe was right about game four. For one night, they were a pretty good team and did not lay down and were fairly well coached for one night. For one night. But that one night came way too late for Boston. They may have saved face last night. They may have extended their season one more game at least. They can keep telling themselves one game at a time, one game at a time, we're still in this thing. But really all they did was avoid further humiliating themselves and their fans and their head coach and their city and most of all me. Well, half of me. By getting swept by an eight. And I don't want to hear about how they're not really an eight. They are. They are. Can I sidebar for a minute about them being an eight? Is there anything in the history of the world 
more meaningless than the NBA regular season. That's not a hot take either. That's not me going, hot take factory. You know how I know that the NBA regular season is the most meaningless thing in the history of the world? The Heat are an eight. That's how I know. However, Miami fan, and more importantly, Miami player, they know everything's going to, quote, be all right. Right, Himmy? Everything's going to be all right. U.S. Cellular has some great news, especially for you, person listening to this podcast. Right now, you can get one line with unlimited data for just $29.99. So, unlike other cell networks, you won't have to pay for lines you don't need just to get a good price. Get one line for $29.99 with unlimited data today. U.S. Cellular, built for us. Terms do apply. Visit uscellular.com for details. Hey, remember when the Celtics were making ridiculous statements before that game? Remember when Marcus Smart said, don't let us get one. Don't let us get one. And remember when Jalen Brown confirmed it? Don't let us win tonight. Don't let us win. I mean, it sounded pretty desperate. It sounded pretty pathetic. It sounded pretty hollow before the game. But you know what? In a way, I'm glad they said it. Because then again, what were they going to say? Going to take it one game at a time? Going to focus on what's in front of us? It's a race to four, not to three? Listen, as the CEO of Team Content and majority stockholder, I do want this to go seven. You know why? I know the finals aren't going to start for like seven years. Seven years up. See? Jungle Tourette's, man. That's what I'm saying. Even I'm doing it. I don't care who wins. I just hope they keep this thing going. It's not because I'm half fam. I just don't know how I'm going to fill seven more years until the final start. So go ahead. Keep me entertained. Double down, Celtics. Warn them. Threaten them. Psycho Himmy again. Like my guy, Al Horford. I love Al Horford. When he started knocking those threes last night, I knew they were in a pretty good place. But Al, my guy, say something. Go ahead, start talking. Al, Al Horford, classy Al Horford, needs to put the heat on notice. Al needs to tell Miami that he was there as a college kid for the Miracle on Ice. And if you think that was an upset, get ready for the Miracle on Mass. I guess what I'm trying to say is this. The Nuggets have been around for 46 years and have never been in the finals, and they are now. Unfortunately, it's going to be another 46 years until game one tips of the NBA Finals. So go ahead, half fam. Extend this thing. Let's keep this going. Team content. Team content. Are you craving some protein after a good workout? Don't make a shake or eat a bar. Grab a bag of beef jerky from Old Trapper instead. Old Trapper beef jerky is tasty and tender. It's made with real strips of steak and quality spices that are smoked over a wood fire. And it goes wherever you go, to the game, to the gym, to the beach. Look for Old Trapper in the Clearview bag. You can see the quality you are buying. Look for it in major retail stores near you. And if you don't see it, ask for it by name because no other jerky compares. Old Trapper, what's your beef? We are joined right now by Kelly McCrimmon. Kelly, it is great to have you on the program. I would ask you how you're doing, but I'm guessing you're doing pretty well. Am I right? Well, when you're in a series, you never know if you're going to come out the other end successfully. So certainly we're pleased to be uh, leading the Series 3-0. We're one one win away from the Stanley Cup Finals. So we're, uh, we're excited about the opportunity in front of us. Okay, I think that's a fair response. Let me ask you, you won last night, and you jumped on them pretty early on. What were your biggest takeaways from that game that does put you now a win away from advancing to the Stanley Cup Final for the second time in franchise history? The biggest thing for me, Jim, would be how different the game was to what uh, everyone likely expected. Games one and two were... Uh, both overtime games and, uh, you know, game one, I thought we were a little better than them. Game two, they were a little better than us. We were uh, fortunate to score late in game two and early in overtime. And then last night, uh, you know, Marcia Sol scoring from Eichel uh, early in the first period to give us a lead, then the major penalty. 
and uh, just how differently that game unfolded as to what uh, we might have expected. And, uh, you know, you know, uh, like we anticipated Dallas's best game because of the fact we had the 2-0 lead. And uh, we're you know really pleased to be able to come into a difficult building and get a win. Kelly McCrimmon joining us. Kelly, in terms of that major penalty, what did you make of that incident where Jamie Benn received that five-minute major and that game misconduct for cross-checking Mark Stone? What was your reaction? Well, I think it surprised a lot of people, uh, likely on both teams and, and uh, people watching the game. Um, you know, it was unprovoked. It'll be a situation where uh, Jamie Benn has a hearing today with the uh, Department of Player Safety. So how that'll unfold, I guess we'll likely know here uh, sometime this afternoon. Uh, you know, it took their captain out of the out of the game. Uh, so that part, uh, I guess, had a direct impact on last night's game. And it gave us an opportunity to go on the power play for five minutes where we were able to build our lead. Uh, from one nothing to two nothing, then we scored shortly after the power play to uh, to have a you know a three nothing lead, uh, seven or eight minutes into the game. So Kelly, in your mind, was that unfortunate or frankly was that dirty, and does that warrant a suspension in your opinion? Well, you don't like to speak too much on these things when there's a hearing already in place, but I think everybody would agree. Um, you know, it wasn't a hockey play. It was pretty vicious. And uh, fortunately, Mark Stone uh, wasn't hurt. The cross-check came right down on the side of his head. It could have, you know, could have gave him a concussion, could have broke his cheekbone, could have done any number of things. So fortunately, there was no injury on the play. And, uh, you know, past that, we'll, we'll leave it up to, uh, uh, to the NHL to make their determination. We're talking to Kelly McCrimmon. Kelly, you mentioned Eichel, center Jack Eichel. He had an assist last night, and he led the team in points this season. And listen, there was never, ever, ever any doubting his immense talent. If there were, in fact, any questions about him when the team made the deal for him back in November 2021, if there were, maybe, maybe it was about fit with the team, maybe it was about his health. Can you take me back? Did you have any such concerns about that deal? And then what has he meant to your organization since then? Well, we had concerns about his health, and yet we were comfortable enough to continue to work ahead on the trade. He was uh, awaiting neck surgery when uh, when we traded for him. He was able to. Uh, he had done a lot of the research himself. There was a there was a uh, a debate uh, between himself and the, and the Sabres organization as to what type of uh, remedy he should seek, uh, whether that be a fusion or whether that be disc replacement. Disc, disc replacement had never been done on an NHL player before. Jack felt strongly that that was uh, the best course for his health and uh, and stuck to that position, did a lot of research in terms of where that would take place. The decision was made to have uh, Dr. Chad Prusmack from Denver uh, conduct the surgery. Uh, the, it's a surgery that was very successful. His rehab was quicker than we anticipated. But I think it was really this year before he had a full offseason to train, the chance to be at training camp with, uh, with our team and, and be a part of it right from day one. And the motivation behind the trade was, uh, you know, for me, when you look at Stanley Cup champions, uh, they generally have, you know, a number one defenseman. They generally have an elite number one center. Uh, we had good centers. We had a good team, but we didn't have uh, a player of the caliber of Jack Eichel. And I think that some of the unknowns that come with it is Jack had never been in the playoffs. And it's not a case where uh, Jack didn't have a good reputation in the playoffs, hadn't played well previously in the playoffs. He'd never been. So uh, this year, uh, him arriving in playoffs and, and really uh, it probably took a game uh, for him to, uh, you know, to, to settle right in. And he's just really flourished. And the thing about playoffs for me, uh, you know, just uh, over uh, the years that I've been involved is they make players better. And some guys really, uh, flourish and that's what we've seen from Jack he has played tremendous and not just offensively but just the things that help you win because that's what it comes down to you know a lot of games are you know 3-2 at this time of year so what are you doing to help uh, to help us win and certainly he's had his uh, more than his share of offensive moments but he's played a really good 200 foot game and uh, you know I think is uh, you know really uh, gaining confidence and enjoying uh, the experience of being in the playoffs for the first time. Honestly, Kelly, I think that's a fascinating response for so many different reasons. I want to ask you what you said about him saying, you know, it wasn't fair to say, like, he couldn't get it done in the postseason. He never had the opportunity. He'd never done it before. My question right. for you is this. Do you 
do you can you look at a guy like that or a lot of other really talented guys and just know that once they get to the big stage they will flourish or even you do you not know until you see it until they actually get there do you never know until they get there well one of the lesser known uh traits of jack's game when we when we were acquiring him obviously we involved uh, our pro scouts should do a ton of due diligence because we gave up a lot to uh, to acquire the player. But one of the things that I think uh, it was a little bit underrated in Jack's game because of the fact they hadn't been in the meaningful games late in the years or playoffs that you, that you expect guys to be in was his competitiveness. And I think we've really seen that. And then the other uh, aspect of his game that is probably uh, coming to the fore more and more is how strong he is. He, uh, he really... Uh, can protect the puck, and then when you combine that with the skating ability and the skill, uh, it really makes uh, him hard to take the puck away from. So, uh, you know, the competitiveness you, you believe is going to translate uh, when the, when those opportunities come. So we've certainly seen that. And the other thing that I think was a little bit of a misrepresentation as well: uh, tremendous, tremendous teammate, really good character, has fit in since day one. We've got a really good dressing room that he's. Uh, become a big part of so you know those are the things that you lean on when you're trying to project a player to a situation that he's yet to experience so uh, you know again happy for Jack because this is a really important stretch of his career and obviously uh, important to our team. Kelly McCrimmon joins me for a couple of more moments. Kelly, in fact, I was going to ask you about the room because I had a conversation with your head coach, Bruce Cassidy, back in February. Obviously, you're not in the position you're in right now, a single win away from the Stanley Cup final, unless you're really talented. But top to bottom, how do you like the makeup of this group and how high is the character in the room? I think the, the, the composition of our team is really, uh, really strong. We've got tremendous depth. We're not relying... Uh, on one specific person it's a definitely a, a group effort different guys have seized big moments uh, great leadership from uh, from our coach Bruce Cassidy as well I think over time teams generally uh, reflect the personality of the head coach so I give Bruce and his staff a lot of credit for uh, what our team has done and again uh, we're a win away from the Stanley Cup Finals when you go back to the All-Star break when Mark Stone was uh, ruled out for the season with back surgery where we had lost seven of eight at that time. Coming out of the break, um, you know, we really uh, grabbed a hold of it. I give the players credit, but I give our coaches credit as well because our finish was, I think, 22-4-5, and five, something, uh, something like that at a time where uh, teams in the Western Conference really took off. L.A. and Edmonton in our... Uh, division had great finishes. Minnesota and uh, Dallas really uh, had great finishes to try to finish first in the Central. And Colorado, of course, was able to come from behind and uh, win the Central Division pennant. So um, that that uh, uh, you know that the injuries that we overcame when you when you look at the leadership where you need your leadership, we uh, had a, a lineup that was missing players. Uh, really all year the last the first 20 games we were healthy but the rest of the way we had uh, injuries uh, real significant injuries for long periods of time so again the depth uh, the depth really uh, helped us through that as well as the leadership hey, Kelly one last thought you mentioned Bruce and I love Bruce I think it's really great to see Bruce and he was let go by Boston Boston had that historic regular season there at home you're still going I'm looking at a piece actually right now on ESPN.com which is really interesting, and it's titled The Power of Positive Coaching and Its Impact on the Stanley Cup Playoffs. And the gist of it is is that the old-school way of coaching, where you coach guys really hard and negatively, just is not as effective as it used to be, and especially with younger players right now, some other anonymous sources in the article are saying, now wait a minute, you still have to get into guys. It's still okay to do that, but there's a way to do that. Where do you come out? Are you seeing any kind of shift, any kind of quantum shift in the way coaches are relating to their players? Does the old school way still work? Where do you come out on that approach? Well, you have to build trust as a coach and you have to keep people accountable as a coach. The way you do that, I think, is different now than it, uh, it might have been, uh, you know, maybe even five years ago. So, uh, you know, I think our players trust Bruce. I think they believe that uh, what he uh, has instilled in our team, what he wants our team to do, what he wants us to look like, I think they believe that's going to help us win. And I think once you've built trust, you can 
uh, coach players hard uh, on occasion. It's not an everyday thing. It's not, uh, there's a, uh, there's a point of diminishing returns, I think, in terms of how you handle people in those uh, situations. But I think when you have uh, the trust of your group, you can uh, you can come at them hard in a short moment to get people back on track or get people, uh, you know, playing our game like we uh, like we need to. That's one of the things that our team has done a really good job of is we generally get to our game. And when we uh, you know fall off of that and we lose momentum or uh, have a bad period, uh, we have a pretty good uh, maturity level to get back to it. And I think that that comes from uh, accountability and that, uh, you know, that for me, you know, in any era uh, has to be there, whether that's from the veterans on your team, the coaches or, uh, or whatever the methods are for that to happen. Uh, but it definitely is different with today's player. I think that's really interesting. And I n- never mind what it was like when you played, Kelly. It's different than it was five years ago. To your point, accountability, culture, character, these things are timeless. They all matter. He is the GM of the Vegas Golden Knights. They are now up three games to none on the Stars. They're one game away from making it to the Stanley Cup Final for the second time in their six-year franchise history. Kelly, really appreciate the time. Appreciate a great conversation. Thanks so much for doing that. Yeah, thanks very much for having me, Jim. Appreciate it. Discover credit cards do something pretty awesome. At the end of your first year, they automatically double all the cash back you've earned. That's right. Everything you have earned doubled. All the cash back from eating at your favorite restaurant doubled. All the cash back from that trip where you sort of learned to snowboard also doubled. And the best part, you don't have to do anything ridiculous to get it. Discover does it automatically. Seriously, though. See terms and check it out for yourself at discover.com slash match. Did anybody find it strange that Aaron Rodgers stopped the entire news cycle in its tracks yesterday because he tweaked his calf at OTAs? Judging by the hysterical break-in reactions of certain TV networks and on social media, you would think that this non-story was some kind of major story. Like, batting down the hatches, everybody in, we're going wall-to-wall 24-7. Get everybody in the field. Get them to the facility. Aaron tweaked his calf. Like, not a damn thing happened. Who cares? He tweaked his calf. It's a voluntary May practice. He took a vet day. End of story. Nothing to see here. Keep moving. You don't believe me. Take it from the source himself. Good photos there. I just tweaked my calf in the uh, little pre-practice condition inside. Decided to take a, take a vet day. Can you keep down a while? I don't know. I mean, I don't think it's too, too serious. He handled that perfectly. Like, he did not get sucked in to the New York media, to the national hysteria. Like, he understood. He's like, <laughs> he was laughing. Like, I tweaked my calf. Like, he, if he were the guy that everybody said that he was, that he was going to freak out in New York City, then that would have been the time to do so. Like, hey, man, give me some room to breathe. Get off me. Roll off me. I tweaked my calf, man. He could have gone Randy Johnson if you thought he was that guy. Don't talk back to me, all right? Give me some room. He's not. He laughed. He knew. Most of you acted like that's what he was going to do or that's what he did do or that this is some incredible I told you so moment that they got this is what they signed up for. Dude, he didn't blow out an Achilles. He didn't shred his knee. He didn't suffer a concussion and go into the protocol. Does this sound like some significant injury? Today is May 24th. The Jets do not open up until the second week of September. I'm pretty sure, without even having to be a doctor on TV, that the calf is going to be fine by then. I'm pretty sure the calf will be fine. I'm just not really sure who needs to hear that or why. Like, it's almost as if everybody is just assuming the worst. Like, hey, Rome, did you see the report? Amputation is necessary. He's getting his leg cut off because of the calf that he tweaked. 
Everybody's just assuming that this was inevitable, that the situation is going to just jump right off the rails and right off the nearest cliff at any moment. And that at any moment, Aaron is going to have buyer's remorse and Aaron's going to stop being so happy and stop being so motivated and stop being so energetic and stop looking so good and stop being so rejuvenated. And that he should have never done this in the first place. And he's already looking back at Green Bay, wishing that he was still there. The hell he is. Hate to break it to you. That's not how it is. He's still really happy. Nothing's changed. Now, I know Packer fan is feeling like a scorn lover that got left in the dust these days. And I know that in Wisco, all of this is hard to process and hard to accept. Believe me, I get it. I heard enough of it directly from Packer fan and Wisco fan already. I know. But I'll tell you what doesn't make sense. It doesn't mean it makes actual sense to go in on a guy for tweaking his calf at a voluntary practice and then sitting himself down and taking, quote, a vet day. I mean, what do you want this guy to do? Play hurt and maybe make it worse in May? Make that make sense. But then again, I understand that it's tough for Wisco fan to respond rationally when they hear Aaron up at the podium bragging about how much fun it is to be at OTAs. I get that this response was probably going to trigger every last one of you Packer fans yesterday. I haven't been to OTAs in the last couple of years, so it's been nice to kind of be out here, be in the meetings, uh, speak up about certain things, adjustments in the offense and additional coaching points. Obviously, got a long history with Nathaniel, so he gives me a lot of latitude to speak up in the meetings and and just the opportunity to help out Zach and Tim and Chris in the room was a lot of fun. I know, I know, I know, Wisco fan. I know that's what your problem is. This is what you've been trying to tell me. This is what I don't get, Wisco fan. That that's what Aaron should have been saying all along. That Aaron should use OTAs to be present, to help the QB room, to mesh with his wideouts, to speak up in meetings, and most importantly, to lead from the front. Yeah, I get it. But it makes no sense to try to take a run at him now that he's doing it in New York. That's just petty. That's just petty. And as I mentioned earlier, the situation in New York is so much different than the situation in Wisco. He doesn't know most of these guys. He has to get acclimated with them. He has to get on the same page with them. He has to help teach them the new offensive system. This is why Wisco fans is conflicted and why some Wisco fans are being petty and irrational and trying to use any excuse they can to take a run at Aaron. I get it, kind of. What I don't understand, though, is Jet fan freaking out yesterday. I know why Wisco fans freaking out. It's personal. They've got long, deep history with Aaron. Jet fan, why are you freaking out already? Guys, keep yourself tight and feeling confident with new and improved Dove Men Plus Care Antiperspirant, reformulated with 72-hour sweat and odor protection and one-quarter moisturizing cream. Stop worrying about your underarms so you can be present for the moments that matter. Do not let underarm insecurities keep you at arm's distance from the ones you care about. Buy new and improved Dove Men Plus Care Antiperspirant with 72-hour sweat and odor protection wherever personal care products are sold. But then again, everything with John Morant is odd these days. I'm going to bring my EP Tommy in. Tommy, you saw this first before I did. Why don't you share what you saw? What happened and what is the TMZ report regarding John Morant? So this morning when we were prepping the show, I saw these weird uh, posts on Ja's Instagram story. Freaked a lot of people out. The first one was love ya ma with a blue heart and a picture of his ma. Then love ya pops with a blue heart and a picture of his father hugging him. Uh, you the greatest baby girl heart love you with his daughter. And then the last one was just bye, period. Um, so obviously people got a little spooked by this. Now TMZ is reporting that the Shelby County Sheriff's Office actually went and did a wellness check on his home in Tennessee. Wow. And apparently he's fine. And all of that was communicating is that he's taking a break from social media. Oh, wow. Incredible. All right. Thanks for sharing that story. <laughs> My reaction to that. If you're going to take a break from social media, you don't need to tell anybody that. But if you feel the need to do that, 
If you feel the need to let the world know, much less your family, that you're taking a break from social media, make it very clear that you're taking a break from social media and not that you're taking a break from life permanently. Because that's how that read. They sent authorities in for a wellness check. That's scary and crazy and bizarre. And and for what? Now the explanation was, I was just letting my family know that I was taking a break from social media. Why? Why? That's weird. I'm not saying that's not the case. I'm saying that's weird. If you wanted to take a break from social media, and he should, hell, we all should. I would love to take a break from social media. I don't think anybody needs to break more than he does. And believe me, I would love to. But why do you need to share that with your family? Why do you need to tell your mom and your dad and your baby girl how much you love them and you're taking a break from social media? Isn't that weird? Or maybe it comes up in the course of a conversation. Like, hey, Pa. Yo, Pops. You know what I think? You know, I'm sure they talk about a lot of things right now, right? I mean, Jaws has got a lot to talk about with his personal team. His personal team, his actual team, his family. I'm sure in that conversation, probably somebody, if they have his best interest at heart, would say, hey, John, you know what would be a pretty good idea? Put the phone down. Because when you pick the phone up, bad things happen. You show up in clubs with a gun. You show up in a car with a gun. You lose a lot of money. You lose sponsorships. The league comes down on you. You get suspended. You're not available. My guy, maybe you stay off of social media. I can see where that conversation might come up. But why would you take to social media to inform your family members that you're taking a break from social media? Why do you need to tell anybody you're taking a break from social media? Is that how weird social media is? That if you're, quote, prominent on social media, you have to let people know you're taking a break? How about this? Why don't you just delete the app? Why don't you just put the phone down? Why do you need to say anything at all? And even if you're an incredible look-at-me person and you're addicted to social media and you feel this sun, this sense of self-importance, then be very clear about it and say, hey, followers, hey, fam, hey, nation, I'm taking a break from social media for obvious reasons. I want to work on myself. And then you just say it explicitly. But you don't want to be kind of cryptic about it and say, I love you, Ma. I love you, Pa. I love you, baby girl. Bye. Because then you know what will happen? Given your current state, they will send authorities in for a wellness check. I mean, even when Jaw's trying, I guess, he's still stepping in it. You don't owe anybody an explanation as to why you are no longer showing up in clubs on Instagram Live with a gun. Just stop doing it. And if people, nobody's going to say, hey, Jaw, where's Jaw? Why is Jaw not on Instagram Live? Why is he not on social? I mean, I think we all know why, right? Nobody's going to wonder why you're not showing up, dude. We all know why. Because when you show up, really bad things happen and you're wrecking your career. You don't owe anybody an explanation as to why you're no longer showing up on social media, especially your family. That's just weird. This is how weird social media is in this day and age. He felt the need to let them know via social media that he wasn't going to be on social media. God, do phones, does anybody ever call anybody anymore? At least text it to them so people don't think the worst. And most of all, authorities are not sent over to your house to check on you. Weird. And in that case, weird's not good. That's just weird. Michael Block is my guest. Michael, it is great to have you on. How are things, Michael? Hey, Jim. Thanks for having me, my friend. Uh, Things are absolutely insane right now, but uh, I'm enjoying every minute of it. 
My man, you are the absolute best. I'm so glad to hear that they are still insane. I want to say that although I do not play, Michael, I've been a member at Shady Canyon for 20 years, so I'm not that far from you. I know everybody around this area knows of you, knows who you are, has played with you. Can you tell me, you finished in a tie for 15th. I mean, has it all even sunk in? How have you gone about processing what happened in the past week? Well, I've only saw my wife for about another 12 hours after it. I have yet to even see my two boys. They're still there in Orange County. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's not, I haven't processed it. I was on a, I was on a plane right uh, what, Monday morning. I was here in Texas Monday afternoon and played Tuesday. And now I'm uh, doing a lot of interviews today and going to practice this afternoon. So, yeah, I haven't had time to comprehend anything yet. We're talking to Michael Block. I would imagine it's the ultimate whirlwind. As you look back on last week, you probably even had, haven't even had time to do that. But if I were to get you to look back and just stop for a minute and think about last week, what do you remember most? What sticks out to you the most? The fans, hands down. The Rochester, New York fans, um, they were behind me. Like That's what brought me to tears was uh, – how supportive they were and how they knew me. I didn't know how they, I was, I was just blown away how they knew me and how they were supporting me so much. Uh, and my big thing was to make, whether it was a par putt or birdie putt or a hole in one, just make it for them. And they absolutely would lose their mind every time I did, whether it was a bogey par or birdie. I mean, it was nuts. And so it was really cool to see that and, I'm starting to get the same vibe here in Texas, too, so it's going to be a, a fun week. I was just going to say, Michael, do you think that's kind of a Rochester thing, or do you expect something similar should you play as well this week? Is that more of a you know nationwide thing, golf fan thing, as opposed to a Rochester thing? No. I mean, I came through the gates here at Colonial, and the five gentlemen at the front gate went absolutely nuts when my window went down, and they started yelling block party. And... uh that's when reality sank in that uh, everything followed me here to Texas. So it's, it's unreal and surreal that uh, I guess this uh, social media and TV and radio and everything is working pretty well. Michael Block joining us. Michael, what do, you, what do you do with that? I mean, you're a 46-year-old guy. You love the game. You love life. And you're right, man. The world's different. It's way different. I'm older than you, but everything is so different now, obviously, because everything always changes. But what's it like to have your entire life change in a moment and have all these things happening? What is this like? Uh, overwhelming. Thank God I have an unbelievable team behind me of family, friends, and everyone else that's been just hugely supportive of me and people are literally putting their lives on hold for me which is uh, endearing and I, I owe them a lot uh, after this and it's been uh, it's been uh, a, a quite a ride and I'm, I'm also happy that they're able to be on the ride at the same time. You know, I'll tell you what was endearing, what was most endearing. I absolutely loved it. I mean, I'm glad that people you don't know embrace you. But, man, how awesome was it for you to see the video of your friends and the people you teach back home in the home club react the way they did when you hit that ace? Unbelievable. And uh, my last interview, he asked me if I was going to uh, buy drinks for all of them. And uh, 100%, I'm going to get every name of every person on that video. And when I get back, we're going to have another party because I missed that one. And uh, I'll be buying a round for everyone. Talking to Michael Block. So, Michael, you knew you could play. You always knew that you could play. I'm curious, what was it like, though, to be playing the weekend of a major with the likes of Justin Rose and Rory McIlroy? Oh, well, first of all, I mean, super intimidating when you first originally think about it. But then, on the second hand, everyone started telling me, wow, Rosie's just a doll and he's just a great guy. And I heard the same thing about Rory. And they were absolutely two of the nicest human beings I've ever met in my life. And uh, they made that circumstance, uh, those two days, in front of everybody uh, in front of the world to be uh, very, very comfortable and as, as comfortable as it possibly could have been. We're talking to Michael Block. So, Michael, what about that tee shot on 15 Sunday? When you hit it, how did it feel? <laughs> I peered it. I was just trying to hit that green. That green was brutal. Roy just went prior, and he missed it. And he missed the green, got in a, just a horrible spot. And uh, the wind was strong into us, and all of a sudden it laid down slightly, and I needed that. I needed it to lay down. And literally, I don't know what, for something from above, man, it, it just everything happened, and it seemed to almost happen for a reason. But the, the wind laid down, and I go, let's go. I, and I literally kind of pulled the trigger a little earlier, and I hit it. And I didn't even see it go in. Rory just turns around. He gives me a hug, and he goes, that one in the hole. And uh, I'm just like, there's no way. And I didn't believe him. I, I didn't believe him. I didn't believe the first 12 people that told me. And then when, once I finally got up on that green and saw it, uh, I, it blew my mind. Michael Block joining us. Michael, in, in your entire career, like how many, how many aces do you have? Do you know? 
three uh, casual aces in my life and my first one ever in a tournament. And I've played tons and tons of all types of, you know, tournaments, big and small. And that was the first one in my life in a tournament. And I've always said, I can't believe I've never had one in a tournament. And under those circumstances, oh, man, I picked a good time to do it. It's incredible. And that Rory had to tell you that it went in and then that you didn't believe him. You used a tailor-made seven for that ace. Were you really offered fifty grand for that club? Yes, uh, I have been. Um, I've been offered multiple uh, people have actually offered uh, to buy it and purchase it now. So, yes, I haven't determined if I'm going to do it or not. But uh, one of the things that also might happen is I might be able to get that thing in a PGA museum because uh, I think they might want to do that. And that would be very special to me as a PGA member. I was going to say, Michael, that sounds like something you would do, and I don't think anybody would fault you at all for taking the money. I don't like talking money with people. I just I don't. It's none of my business. But can I ask you, as somebody, and, and you mentioned this, as a club pro, you love what you do, but fifty grand is a lot of money for anybody. You mentioned it. When was the first time in your life that you made $50,000 a year being a club pro? How long ago? Ten years ago. Ten years um, ago. I mean, yeah, I mean, maybe, maybe 10 to 15, somewhere in that, in that zone. I remember when I started, I was making, I think, 850 or $950 you know, an hour um, as an assistant pro. And uh, so you can figure that out. That wasn't very much money. So uh, I've worked my way up. I'm, I'm making more than 50000 now at the club, obviously. But, uh, yeah, it's crazy. Fifty grand to me is a, a lot of work that I usually have to put into it. And for me to be able to possibly sell a club to, for that much money and to put that money into a bank and possibly help pay for my kids' college and stuff like that, it's, it's pretty amazing. No, I really appreciate that response. That's why I asked you that question. That is a lot of money for anybody, but especially given the work you've put in. Let me ask you really quickly, how long have you played with the current set of irons that you have right now? Uh, it's, uh, I'm on, I, I believe it's 12 years. I mean, they are, I don't know if you've seen a picture of them, Jim, but they are absolutely, they look like they're, if you saw them in a garage sale, you, you, you might spend 25 bucks on them. I mean, you, you, that, like the, the shaft labels are completely gone, so you, don't, you can't even tell what shaft I'm using. The guys were laughing so hard at the beginning of the week because they felt my grips in the TaylorMade Tour van. My grips have been on there for probably three years, so they're super worn out. And uh, they're like, do you want us to put new grips on at the beginning of the week? I'm like, absolutely not. I love I love. It's when I change the grips, it changes my feels. And when I change my feels, it just gets off. And I don't want to have that happen under a big circumstance like that. So, yeah, it's been crazy. Those, those clubs have been my, my friends and my babies for a long time. Michael, the best story gets better and better and better. Before you go, obviously that top 15 puts you in next year's PGA Championship as well. You're already guaranteed a crack a year from now in Louisville. What does that represent to you? Oh, it's amazing. Uh, I, and I'm pretty sure one of the coolest things about that is that because I'm already going to be exempt, there's probably going to be one more spot for another PGA member. 20 guys usually get in, and usually if there's an exempt person, such as myself, uh, that adds in one more spot. So that tells me that one person that would have not have gotten in next year is going to be able to go play and, and live their dream in a PGA championship. And who knows, maybe they'll do something like what I did this year and change their life. Another awesome response. And one last thought, you've got that sponsor exemption. You're already there getting ready for the Charles Schwab Challenge at Colonial. In fact, what about Colonial? How does Colonial set up for an old pro like you? I don't want to, you know, get ahead of myself here, but this this course actually sets up better for me than Oak Hill. It's uh it's tight. Uh, it really likes to have you cut the ball off the tee, which is exactly my uh, feel. And uh, the greens are beautiful. It's small greens, so you got to be precise with your irons, which I normally am. And uh, the people here are nice, and the weather's hot, so this 46-year-old body feels great. Um, so I'm, I'm super excited. I can't wait to get after it tomorrow. Well, man, I know you brought the same set of clothes. Did you find a pair of shorts yet? I didn't. I haven't. I think I got to go in the. In the I, I'm gonna. I'm gonna practice here in about an hour for the for this afternoon. It's getting muggy out here, so I think I'm gonna hit the golf shop and grab myself some shorts. I love it, Michael. Appreciate you so much. It's one of my favorite golf stories ever. Not recently, but ever. You were such a good dude. It's such an amazing story, and I know there's been a lot of media requests. So thanks for making time for this show. Really appreciate it, Michael. Have a great week. Jim, I've been watching you a long time, and uh, I was coming on your show for sure, buddy. Hey, I appreciate it. Mike in Vegas. Good to have you on, Mike. How are you? Doing awesome, Jim. What's happening? What's up, dude? Hey, I wanted to talk about all the good hockey vibes going on right now in Vegas, man. But first, I got to talk about these Dallas Stars. Their fans just embarrassing themselves last night, just quitting like just clowns that they are. But 
even worse than that, bro, it's the cheap shots at Captain Mark Stone, man. I'm just, I'm kind of done with it. Like, he's one of the most respected captains in the game. It's just more of the same baggery we saw up in Edmonton. But you know what? We're just not going to let it bug us. Like, we love the hockey vibes in Vegas. We love our team. I've been here for 30 years. I'm a lifetime Raider fan, but there's nothing like what the Golden Knights give us. We know all these hockey old heads, they all hate us. They all hate how we drafted. They all hate our salary cap, blah, 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 all the nonsense that they hate. Guess what? We don't care at all. We love what we got. We're going to the cup, and that's all I got. Nice job. I, I agree with you. Old head, old school, bitter Bob, always has a take. Let's go there right now. What's going on, Bob? How are you? Oh, pretty good, Jim. How are you today? Great. Always. Hey, Jim, this is kind of a weird take. I'd like to start it off that I am not an NBA fan. I've never watched an NBA Finals. I thought it was kind of boring. I used to watch basketball. To me, it was the same people over and over. However, two weeks ago, when I heard that Miami uh, got into the semifinals, I didn't know much about it because I didn't know basketball, but I heard in an interview that Miami has seven undrafted players on their regular team. Seven. Where are the scouts on that? And they were the lowest scoring team in the NBA. And as you stated the other day, they got in by the skin of their teeth and they get to the semifinals. So I said, well, what's this? And they're playing against the Boston Celtics. And everybody picked the Celtics either to win or to come in. We knew that. So, well, let me watch. Well, I watched the game and they won. I watched another game and they won. And they watched another game. Well, Jim, after they won those three games, I'll tell you one thing. I am definitely going to be watching the NBA Finals. And as far as I'm concerned, this team, Miami, has brought the NBA up in the world for clones like me and everything because it finally shows that there's parity in the NBA, just like there's parity in college basketball. And I just want to say, Jim, that, you know, it's uh, like you told the other day, that they're the best team, uh, you know, the Celtics. No, it's not, Jim. Like you said, it's the the team with the best coaching and the desire by the players to win can beat superior talent any day of the week. So, so and finally, Jim, I just want to say I will definitely be play, uh, listening to the NBA Finals this year. And, you know, and, oh, and the one other thing, Jim, there's a uh, chalk line of a dead body in front of the uh, – Boston offices, and that's because uh, we know what it's for. It's for their coach after they lose their final game, and the muckety-mucks tell them to hit the bricks. Anyway, Jim, that was my take, and I just want to say I am definitely in on the NBA, but out for the show. Thanks, Jim. Oh, Bob. He got the plane down somehow. Well, Bob, you're right about one thing. When you started by saying this is kind of a weird take, most of yours are. Good night, 